Life is too short for shit books. That's the mantra for this podcast and The Book Alchemist is purely about brilliant recommendations. I'm Heather Sutter, your host, and our guests, some of which are famous, others infamous, have one thing in common. They know a good book when they read it, and in some cases, they've written a book. Graham Armstrong is our guest in this episode. His stunning debut novel, The Young Teams, scooped countless awards. He was inspired to study English literature following his reading of Irvin Welsh's Train Spotting at age just 16. Alongside overcoming his own struggles with drug addiction, alcohol abuse and violence, he defied expectation to read English as an undergraduate at the University of Stirling, where, after graduating with honours, he returned to study a master's in creative writing. He's also incredibly generous with his time, sharing his experiences of gang culture in schools, colleges and communities across Scotland. I am delighted he's on The Book Alchemist. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. So excited about our chat. You're from North Lanarkshire, as am I, Coatbridge. Tell me about growing up in Coatbridge and Airdrie. God, we, I grew up in my village, just North Airdrie, so it was quite a, um, I don't want to say a countryhood child, but we were running about the woods, you know, and then really it wasn't until the early teenage years where you really learned, you know, the, the social reality of living somewhere like that. And when you were growing up, was reading a big part of your childhood? Not really. I would say there was books in the home for sure. My mum and all that would read Dean Rankin and they were they were big readers, but not like literary fiction, but like crime fiction and you know, just stuff you would read in your holidays. Yeah. So they were always reading, there was always books. But I would I would read Goosebumps when I was a kid. <laughs> I used to get remember I thought about this the other day. I was in high school and he had a reading period and I picked a Goosebumps book up and the teacher told me off. Because I was like I was you know what I mean, I was about fourteen or something. But I was like, yeah, I just enjoyed them, you know what I mean? Yeah. So so you were lucky then that you had access to books growing up because right. when I, you know, my mum and dad, we only had, ever had one income and the only time we ever got books was if my gran was reading a Mills and Boone book from the local library <laughs> <laughs> or if we got book tokens if we did well at school, you know, you'd get some vouchers for John Mingers or John Menzies really as it should be called. Um, so growing up then, did you ever have any kind of dream to be a writer or what did you want to do when you left school? Honestly, I had no idea. Um, no, I certainly didn't have any expectation of being a writer, that's for sure. I think my teenage years were just so dominated by our culture and lifestyle and gangs that I really didn't have a look in. I, I would be lucky to get any job at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. You know, so in, at that time in fourth year, you know, you need to make a decision, you're going to stay on, you're going to leave. I had started a point of apprenticeships and, you know, it would have been a completely different life trajectory had I not. Mm -hmm. So I, but no... So the young team, for anyone who has yet to read it, boy, are you in for a treat. But for those people who haven't read it, tell us what it's about. It's basically the fictionalised version of my experiences in gangs in the 2000s in Airdrie and Coatbridge. It was territorial gang violence. You know, there's been a hundred years of that in Scotland that people don't realise there's a rich history of gangs in Scotland. You know, you think gangs, it's like LA or that, but gangs were always part of the Scottish story. Mm -hmm. um, and we were the, just the modern conception of that. So you were thrust into this world that was dark for sure, you know, and it, it took over your whole life and being and existence. Becomes part of your identity, doesn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. How part, uh, how big a part, I should say, did drugs and alcohol play 
in this massive massive like we start just as you do you know start drinking you know when you're like buck 11 fast. 12 buck fast carry out MD but then um, and then obviously smoke cannabis and drugs as well but for me it went really really dark and deep as well with that because I ended up with addiction you know and while I wouldn't say I was addicted to alcohol you know there wasn't a time I drunk when I didn't stay out for days on it and get lifted and just so I was I was a problematic drinker as well um, and drugs, I quite serious drug addiction at the end. You know, taking Valium tablets all the time, and aye, pretty bad. It's very, very easy to fall into that, though, isn't it? Because I mean, I don't drink. I think you know that. I gave up alcohol about twelve years ago, and lots of people drink for lots of different reasons, and lots of people use it as medication. I, you know, I wasn't drinking because I was having a bloody good time. Mm. I was drinking because I was going through a difficult divorce and I lost my job and as a result kind of lost a sense of who I was. So alcohol helped me self-medicate, if you like. It numbed how I was feeling. Definitely. You know, and I uh, I, I kind of I realised I was worse than my pals in a lot of ways. You know, and just about the way I used drugs and, and alcohol. And I didn't really know why that was, but then reflecting years later, I was like, it's because my dad died in my formative years. You know, and I had that trauma. Mm. You know, and then you know, and all of that picture starts to look very, very different when you realise that there's been a death in the family, you know, and your father and you're growing up with that, with that empty space, you're trying to fill it with, you know, this supposed masculinity. Uh-huh. You're trying to be a, a tough guy, really, to make up for that loss of your father, you know, so um, that's why I would stay out more, I would take more drugs, alcohol, throw all that in, you know, and uh, why I get more broken in the process. But being broken, though, has created this wonderful book that has won so many accolades you've won so many awards I mean like I've got goosebumps talking to you about it today um how does it feel seeing your story encapsulated in the young team feels redemptive <laughs> that's the truth you know I I got you know I got at the other end of that you know I, I've I'm seven years alcohol free and ten years drug free now it's you know, hard. I, I found faith. That was a huge rock for me that I built on it. You know, I was trying to do it. I, I knew I was in trouble and I was trying to change my life, but it was always built, it was a house built in sand. sand. It just collapsed every time. Yeah. Until I found faith and I found that anchor and I was like, right, you know, this time I'm going to do it. And I did, you know, but I still had this feeling of a debt to repay or, a, you know, times to put right, make amends, yeah. aye. Yeah, yeah. Healing, you know, yeah. personally, but also yeah. like a family, you know, family healing and uh-huh. all sorts. So that was, that was the, the process. It, and it was a baptism of fire, you know, because for years, it was seven years, seven and a half years I sat with that, working as a car salesman, working six days a week, coming home, working, just, it was a, it was a tough, tough shift. And it's it hard, people, people I don't think fully realise when you have maybe an addictive personality like I do, or you've, you know, you're using alcohol as I did, as a kind of support mechanism, it's really difficult to get off it. It's not, mm. it's not, it's not no. easy. I think, you honestly, you made such a good point about, you know, this isn't just because we were happy, you know, we were chasing the buzz all the time. It's because, you know, you're wounded, you know. Your heart. Yeah. Exactly. And that yeah. was the thing. I had this massive heart. But you have channeled that heart into this incredible book. It was, so it was published in 2020. 2020, I got um, Which, and it's just flown by. It's like, you know, how long did it take you to write? 
I think the writing part. So I literally, I was, I was started writing that when I was twenty one, right? And I would, I overwrote it like it was twice as long as I actually <laughs> found, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so then it, the rest of the time was kind of whittling it down. So it took me about three or four years to write it. Yeah. So I had, I'd went, I undergone a big change, you know. I was in my first days of after all, just this lost kid, twenty one year old, and then at the end of it, I had a master's degree, twenty four, twenty five. I was like an adult, you know. Phenomenal. So I, I grew up with Azzy, you know, what I was, and I think when people say, "How did you do the voice?" You know, for the, the young boy so because I was I was young I was 21 you know I was just Uh I meet 21 year olds now and I'm like god they're just waiting (laughs) how old are you now I'm 32 are you really wow so it's been that length of time so I've been on I've been on the young team project for 11 years now wow I'm still working on bits of it and all that and so it's it's been a life's work so one of the reasons that I'm such a fan of yours and I am fangirling today so apologies is that you have turned this adversity into a completely different life for yourself, haven't you? Oh, definitely. You know, my, I, I said that, you know, my greatest achievements are, are alcohol and drugs, getting rid of that in my life, rebuilding, and just becoming a decent guy, you know, and just somebody that's there for a family. And I had to redefine what being a man was in Scotland, how, you know, what Scottish masculinity really means, being there for people, you know, being there for your partner, being there for your family. I wasn't there all the years, yeah. you know, I was just... I was you're kind of there, but you're not, you're, you're, nah. not, you're not fully present, are you? No, nah, no. Nah. And, and I think... You're such an inspiration to so many people for so many different reasons. And just when you mentioned there about Scottish masculinity, I, I mean, I think you you embody that for me because you are funny, you're clever, you're so generous with your time. You go to schools, colleges, universities, you're always doing talks. I see you all over social media. You're such a force for good. Oh, that's kind to say, you know, but it's a, I'm not a saint, I'm just a, a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to put it right. A sinner that's done good, but we love that. Just because, trying to put it right. You know, you use that word redemption, redemptive. That is the word that encompasses your journey. And it, it just goes to show that if you are having a tough time, you know, you find yourself in a scenario, whatever it is, or a relationship that's not right, or friends that don't support you for the right reasons, or if you're drinking too much or taking drugs or whatever, there's help available and you can turn it around and then some. I go into schools, you know, and I speak to these young guys and I see them right at the bottom of the mountain and, you know, one young man said to me recently, my dad's in jail, you know, mum struggles with with other stuff, right, with substances and drink, you know, and I want to be an engineer and I could see how impossible that seemed to him, you know what I mean? Mm. Some of them punch you right in the heart, it's tough, Uh you know, and I was like, honestly, I hope the last hour me speaking to shows, you know, you've seen me sitting with scabs all over my face, a drug addict, you know, bent in two, and then you've seen me in vogue. And he was laughing, right? And I'm like, it's that dramatic? It's that dramatic? Genuinely, I'm like, anything is possible. Yeah. That's, the, that's the message. Absolutely. Anything is possible. And rewind to 2021, like, what made you decide to go to uni? Like, how did you get there? Like, did you have uni? the qualifications when you left school? Um, I went straight through. Uh, and that, so God, you're bright? Well, you know... <laughs> If you fits, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But for me, right, I was I was your classic disengaged, right? Expelled from school at 14, so I went to Cobridge High. I don't know if you knew that. I went to Cobridge High I, also. I, so I went to Cobridge High <laughs> after your yeah. academy. Okay. And then I was totally disengaged. But they were well ahead of their time down there. They didn't give, they didn't suspend kids that dogged all the time. They mm-hmm. kept you in, mm-hmm. you know, and they nurtured you. So it was a nurture environment even back then. And, it, you know, I always talk about the kind of heroic figure of Mr. Rollins and my old it's an inspiration for MacGyver. You know, he was like Coach Carter. Yeah. He, did, he changed my life, you know. And then I uh, I just I had to fight, but you were fighting for respect, yeah. you know, because I was disrespected. You know, I was one of the bad ones. Yeah, they yeah. Did a waste of space, you know, mm-hmm. so. 
I failed my first tyre and I proved them all right. And then I went back in six year and I was reading The Great Gatsby and The Crucible. And Amazing. I just got it, you know, yeah. I just, the penny finally dropped yeah, for me. Yeah. yeah, reading something is as great as that, you know, and I was, that was it. I just went so, and I done it. So. It's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes you're at a stage in your life or you're reading a particular book and you just don't get it and then you pick it up again and then you do get it. And I was exactly the same with The Great Gatsby. It's like, it just landed on my lap at the right time. His story's very similar to yours, you know. Somebody that was, you know, alcohol dependent, you know, was part of the working class, or you know, and he wasn't accepted, you know, and he never felt good enough. And that's Gatsby's like his young team. It's uh-huh. like the retelling of his life, yeah. you know, on the page. Yeah, it's, and, you see so, that when yeah. you read about him, you know, and uh-huh. it's that's it's more tragic when you know. Absolutely, yeah. and it's funny as well because I think sometimes you know, it's like when you pick up a book you can get the, the kind of like top tier message, but it's like an onion or like an iceberg maybe where 90% of the, of the real depth is like stuff that you don't pick up in the first instance. I think young teams about that. Sometimes I, you know, I'm reading bits and I'm like, I can't even believe I wrote that, you know what I mean? Because it was attached <laughs> to suffering all that while ago and you know, that shows a level of healing as well. Yeah. You know, and there's one bit at the end of the book when he's talking about the fear of violence, you know, and... It's a really dark bit, you know, because he's talking about, you know, it's something we've all experienced, but you, can, you know, you conjure these homicidal fantasies about people coming through your door are going to get you, and a lot of this is just in your own head. Yeah. You live in the shadow of your fear Absolutely. that sometimes might never manifest. And it's funny, don't you, you think, know? that fear is such a big driver, but if you don't channel it in the right way, it can really fuck up your life. Honestly, I think a lot of these young guys, right, while they put this Spartan warrior image out to the world, they're actually really terrified. You know, they've no... They've not been instructed well. But, you know, who taught me to be a guy? Right, it was one of my pals that taught me to shave. It was my pal that took me for my first pint when I was 18. They were wow. like, sorry, I get fathers. Yeah, yeah. Right, but then I had to relearn. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I can completely relate to that. You know, my um, I learned a lot from my childhood friend. Her name is Alison Weir. And um, I met her because I had a Saturday job in a wee shop called CF Nash, which was in Miller Street in Glasgow. People might remember it because they used to sell Christmas decorations half price all year long so all the ladies would come in and buy their tinsel in August and things like that anyway I didn't really have you know my my parents were very much fear 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 worry 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 hand wringing they were never go do it you're great you can you've got this whereas Alison taught me like not to shave because I wasn't shaving my face at that point (laughs) but you know I learned so much from her and if I hadn't had Alison you know sometimes again I think that was right time right place I was meant to meet her for a reason. Is it mentors in your life? Yeah. You know, it doesn't always need to be teachers or people with authority. Or can, have a label of a aye, mentor. Aye. Yeah. But I know, and I think there's a, a real pragmatism with people in the west of Scotland, you know, it's like, you know, my family sometimes like, you know, even this job, and even, it doesn't matter how successful they're like, when are you going to get a real job? Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? That's my job. Do you know what I mean? But it's, there is yeah. a kind of, you know, it's kind of stoic. Yeah. You know oh, what no, I mean? It's much. like very much about survival and about pride. You know, and I think that that is actually a fundamental part of all working class stories. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, see when it's looking down into the working class, people think, oh, you know, it's estates or it's schemes and it's, I'm like, it's not like that. Yeah. You know, people in my granny's day used to get talked about if their curtains were dirty and all that. And I remember <laughs> her telling me the stories about mining communities, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It was pride. Absolutely. You know, and all right, you didn't have a lot and they were resourceful people. Yeah, yeah. So was my mum, you know, she raised me as a single parent, but she always worked, yeah. you know. Absolutely. So aren't we the lucky ones? Very lucky. I'm lucky to be alive. So everything else is a bonus, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So when, so to go back to 2020 when the book was published and you'd been writing it for how many years? Seven and a half years. Seven and a half, wow. 
how, how did it take you so long? Like, like what was your process? It took me so long because it's incredibly difficult to publish a book like the Young Team. Okay. Because the people that are receiving that book are not working class, you know. They don't understand the world you've come from, you know. And how could they, you know, unless they loved it. So it's viewed as high risk. Mm -hmm. It's high risk because it's written in Scots language. It's high risk because of the drugs and violence. You know, it's put in a box. There's loads of boxes. It's pigeonholed very, very quickly as mm -hmm. a, a certain type of book. You know, when so when the style defies that and it's quite a literary novel and it's, you know, it, it causes a bit of like, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. How do we market this? How do we understand that? Because publishing is a business that sells people's art. You know, and it's important to remember that. You know, art is distilled through a business. Mm -hmm. You know, so you, do, you need to learn quite well that stuff. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's no different to, you know, Ross Muir, who who is a painter. We all know him. Or whether you work in the music business, because people forget that word business because it's all about sales, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. You know, actually, isn't it? The, you know, it's not the commissioning editor that commissions the book. It's the sales team. I think, can we sell this? Yeah. You know, what's the jacket going to look like? How's it going to look on shelf? Who's going to buy it? So they you took know. a risk and, oh my gosh, did it pay off or what? Well, my commissioning editor told me the story. <laughs> he was in front of this panel of people and he was like, right, you know, I'm just going to say these words, ecstasy tablets, right, cannabis, violence, because this is the world that so many people in use in the UK inhabit that we don't know about, right? But, but this guy does because he loved it. You know, and he spent such a long time telling a story and he was very, very passionate about it. You know, and I think it was his passion that put it over the line. Wow. You know, so I had that gratitude to loads of people, but, yeah. but him especially as well, you know. So the book, I mean, oh, how many awards have you won? I mean, you probably, you, I mean... Oh, oh, I don't know, it's a sex or something. I mean, it's insane. And you've been in Vogue magazine and like, you know, know, you travel all over the world. Like, what have you enjoyed the most, aside from seeing the book being bought and loved like what's what's been the biggest thing that you've gone <laughs> do you know what I say I show the kids the pictures of us in school right and I just laugh and I go do you know what that's just the razzmatazz that's the, like the <laughs> you know the publicity side of it but the reality is my most important role is to get in front of you and speak to you and they look a bit confused sometimes you know because they don't they don't have that value attached to themselves sometimes you know and I'm uh, but honestly like for where I was right in the tracks on the street drinking buckfast part of the problem we've been part of a solution in front of young people I spoke three times for the Scottish government this yeah. year. Amazing. You know, and you're wearing a suit, no tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, that's progress. Were you wearing trainers for the tracksuit? No. <sighs> oh, no. No, no, no. Full shooting match. Work you know? shoes. <laughs> At work shoes. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, it's like, you're teaching these young people lessons about, you know, to get respect, you need to show respect. How do you communicate respect? Yeah. Well, how you dress? You know, if I turn up, looking casual I don't bother and you know I'm turning up my suit and I'm adding value to these people and they're surprised because I'm speaking with my own accent you know and I'm yeah. they've got value judgments that are either conscious or unconscious about yeah. us about where we come from about how we live absolutely absolutely and it's funny I will always big up where I'm from because you know sometimes the most difficult experiences are the ones that propel you to growth we come a windy dealer I didn't know this, you know, you become part of a kind of wellness community and a healing community and a recovery it's, it's community. Very, but it's very spiritual, isn't it? It is, honestly. For me, it was absolutely spiritual. But even even if people aren't of faith or that's not their thing, still there is a kind of air, there's an energy to it that's hard to put your finger on. Absolutely. And it's funny, like, and this is going to sound really quite woo-woo and a bit weird, but all of my favourite people have something in common and it's a twinkle and it's the people that don't drink that have the twinkle because I think they've just got and you've got it they've got this inner 
sense of what's right and what's wrong and when you do the right thing the right things happen and it's about you know you mentioned the term adding value it's like it's what you give out you get back totally you know I didn't realise how windy I was you know with all that and how broken I was until you know I I was like, why am I not funk? Why am I not coping? Mm-hmm. I'm not coping my life as an adult. Like, mm-hmm. why? Because you're trying to build on a foundation that's just full of trauma and death and violence. And, you know, I need to rebuild, but I need to heal. So it's been a, I've been healing yeah. <laughs> simultaneously with healing others. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm still healing. Yeah, and it's amazing. I, I mean, I just love the book. I love what you're doing. I think you're such an amazing inspiration to so many people. And, you know, the fact that the book has been adopted by so many schools on the reading list. Tell me about that. So they, quite a few. I mean, they get they get a choice. It's a free choice to use for a unit text. Uh-huh. So it's not a Scottish set text, but it's the... It's the uh, text that they choose to use in the class. So when I was at school, it was things like Sunset Song by Lewis Grassic Gibbon. Cone Gatherers. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Books that I probably, that I would like to actually go back and revisit because I think, you know, I didn't particularly enjoy school. Like, you know, I wasn't bullied, but I wasn't, I just didn't feel I fitted in. And that Mm. can, that can, you know, that can, throw shade on your your experience totally. of, of enjoying know, a book, can't you know, it? You're only in a, you're only in school at four years really that time or or six years and they're turbulent years and you've, you've you know Hormones adding, and the, the maturity sometimes that you need to meet some of these like, classic novels you know yeah, uh-huh. that young team you know and God in communities that are you know deprived like Drumchapel or Clyde Bank I mean their university rate people who go to university is really low mm-hmm. you know so. In comes a book like Young Team, right? And the kids are actively engaged in it. Like they want to read it for a start, yeah, which is, yeah. it makes their life a lot easier, <laughs> you know? But also, you know, that kind of poignant reminder that actually it's touching, it's touching them in a very personal way because they're experiencing that or their friends are experiencing it, their families experience it. So they resonate with it. And that energy of recognition and respect, which is what I, you know, that's what I found when I read Trainspotting because I felt respected and I felt worthy of something mm-hmm. when, I did, when I felt worthless. So when you it's read, powerful. I mean, how did you come across Train Spotting? I mean, I've not read the book. I know that's terrible. I mean, I've seen the film very many times because I love it and it makes me laugh and it makes me cry. But, you know, well, how did you discover that book? The girl sitting next to me in my English class, so I'd stayed on, right? And now I'm, I'm in the world where I'm no confident, you know what I mean? This all is my sixth pals, year. Fifth year. Fifth year. All my pals have left. You know, I'm the one that stayed, you know, and I'm now quite vulnerable in that space because I'm alone, you know. But the girl sat next to me and said, why don't you read Trainspotting? And she just recognised that that is, you know, it would be reflective in my life. So I read it and honestly, I just, it was that magical thing that happens sometimes, you know, and I just, I felt worth something. I felt worthless, you know, as a person because, you know, and that, that reality had been created because I had a lengthy criminal record. You know, you've been told by so many people, oh, you're not going to get a job, you know, and life felt, it felt hopeless. hopeless. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and there it was. I'm sitting reading a book that speaks to me in a very personal way. Three of my friends had just passed away with heroin overdoses and I seen one of the boys overdose, so it was really point-blank personal, you know. Mm-hmm. I saved his life and he went on to die anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a really dark time and I was looking for something. You know, I was looking for an out. You know, I went to a young man's funeral and I was just like, oh, God, I don't want this. I want to live. Mm-hmm. I don't want to die. I don't want it to be my mum and that sitting down the front. Mm-hmm. And it's affecting and upsetting when you talk about it and you think about it, but because it, it was real. Yeah. So I was looking for that. I was looking for something and I found that. So you read Train Spotting, then what yeah. happened? Just honestly, it just changed my life. I just went for that, right? For this, for this wee Ned. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's big Ned, because you're tall and I slim. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go to uni and study English, man. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read more books. 
right? And you can imagine what people said. Aye, right? aye. They tried to manage their expectations. That's it, but the nicest event. Too much reading in university for somebody like you. Right? Teacher did an impression of me in front of the class. I'm green. I'm green. He's a job, right? And I'm I'm not even. I'm staying. I'm coming back. Right? And it was that act of defiance. It turned into that energy oh, yeah. became I'm digging my heels in. Good. And I'm gonna do something. And I failed, obviously. because um, I'm a Rangers boy and <laughs> unfortunately the, the English exam in the two thousand and eight was the day after Rangers were in UEFA Cup final. It was in St. Petersburg in Manchester. No so I went out and get steaming all weekend. <gasps> and even though I'd studied and I was trying, just nerves get the better of me and I just messed up. That's what kids do, they mess up. I know, but see that's the thing as well. It's like life life is happening whilst know. you're doing all this I messed stuff. Up. So but maybe it was a good thing. Well, it was because then when I came back six year, right, I had a new determination and I'm like, I'm doing this this year. And I got an A for English. I went for an F to an A and that got me into uni. Unbelievable. And that started a new. So that was an impossible dream for somebody like me, just to be in university. You know what I mean? It was That was amazing, right? But the, the trouble didn't stop, you know. Really? You know, like one of my friends murdered somebody in my third year. Right, I was stabbed that year and I just... It just get, it went really, really bad. Life was really dark. You know, albeit I was at uni, mm-hmm. I was still living that street life, mm-hmm. you know? And then it wasn't until Finding Faith Christmas 2012, that was when I truly drew a line and I'm like, right, it's time to heal now and to stop. And that's when I started writing. It was those first days. So it was that energy, all that, all that misery and, you know, trauma and hurt was distilled into that book. And I think you can feel it. Yeah. Sometimes people say that to me. It's a sad book. It's a lot of sorrow for Absolutely. a young person. Absolutely. You know. I mean, it's it's a book to be treasured, though, because it you can really tell. I believe books have energy, and it's it's got that sad energy, but it's also it's got a beating heart of things can get better. Oh, it's you know, it's not a doom and gloom. You know what I mean? Like the the first third of the book is the pure carry on, all that, and it was fun. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Of course, it's part of the Scottish story. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Every area had a young team. Yeah. You know, people, don't, people think it's just bagpipes and fucking shortbread up here. It's no man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's a tough place. Oh no, absolutely. And people are like really funny, you know, and that sense of community and they be boys and the grandparents and there is that sense of kind of you're surrounded. You know, in this warmth, you know, this togetherness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, well, it's like, well, I mean, the, I suppose the clues in the title, it's a team thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's like you're with people that you can relate to. I mean, I think that's the thing that like, I never feel that I've really sort of fitted in at school, but I, I was always envious of all the all the guys because, you know, they would all wear the same kind of stuff or, you know, they go to the football or, do you know, they were, they, they were like, they were a team. And I think that's because they played football together. It's different for girls and guys, I think. I think it is, you know, and um, that's something that gets says to me quite a bit, oh, your young team doesn't really serve young women. And I'm like, well, you know what? We were young guys, right? We didn't understand young women at the time, you know? And like the female characters are fairly archetypal, I suppose, if you <laughs> yeah. want to say that. That's probably, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. reasonable to say, you know, in the yeah. young team. But the girls in Scottish gangs weren't like exploited by the gang. They were part of the gang. They were, they were, they were, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So there is a kind of, when you look at London or other big cities and you know, women that get sucked into gang culture, they are being exploited by the gang, you know, in in loads of different ways. But it wasn't like that. They were, they were, you know, they were like, revered you know, yeah, you know what I mean? not just nuts. as objects of affection, like affection you know yeah, what I mean because yeah, yeah. you fancied them but it was more like they were just wanny they were just yeah. they, so it was yeah. different Scotland was unique that way and the book's become a phenomenal success it's done well Aye, it's done well I mean the Granter stuff they, that unlocked the Granter um, best of young British novelists which is it's a real honour you know 
um, to represent Scotland on that because I was the only person born in Scotland on that list. You know, one of the only working class people on it. And you get an opportunity to write a story, you know, or contribute to the, the addition that, you know, it lasts for a decade as well. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to tell the story about change and that's what I did, you know, and it was tough. You know, how yeah. do you, how did I distill all this madness into 3,000 words? Yeah. And just to put it into context, you know, it is very, very difficult as a Scottish author to get a book deal. First and foremost, you know, not very many. I mean, unless you're doing crime like Ian Rankin or Lisa Gray or Alan Parks, you know, that's a completely different genre to the book that you've written, although there is crime in it, really. Um, and it is a thriller of some respects. So just to put it into context, you have done a phenomenal job, Graham. I mean, you said you've done all right, you know, you're, you're, you know, typically playing it down, but honestly, it's huge. Oh, thank you. God, I keep my feet in the ground because a lot of my kind of professional time was spent in working with guys in prison and working in schools and you realise that, you know, I might have succeeded, but your community still, all these troubles are still there. Yeah. So it keeps you very, very grounded for floating away with all this stuff. You know, it's been a real air flyer. You know? uh -huh. But also, I think what's great, though, is everyone's a work in progress, aren't they? Oh, definitely. I still am. Yeah, likewise. I'm still learning. I, yeah, you know? totally. And I think when you when you acknowledge that and you appreciate it, it's like you, the, the bumps in the road that will inevitably come up, you can handle way much more. But also, you know, take solace in the fact that your message is still reverberating as it goes on and on and on. I mean, it's become a global bestseller. See, whenever I get asked, see if you win a prize, they always ask you to give like a wee kind of, you know, like a kind of speech or a, you know, a comment. Uh -huh. And I, honestly, I always just try and deflect it back to the community. You say, this is great for me, but do you know what? This is still happening. And do you know what? Always gets, it always gets edited out. They never let me say it. Really? Yeah. They well. just they don't ever let me do that. And it annoys me, right? And I get upset about it, you know, because I'm like, it's not just about me. This is a community story, man. And I'm trying to advocate on behalf of people that don't have a voice. You find yourself in a very privileged realm that people will listen to what you say. So you've got an enormous responsibility to choose what you say very carefully, you know. So I felt that right away. You're thrust into a world, of, you know, it's a political world. You need to watch what you say, you know, you know, and all that. Nobody teaches you that. Yeah, exactly. You know? And again, that's why I tip my hat to you because I understand, I do understand that. And you will not be edited out in this podcast. <laughs> no, you know, and it's, you know, there is real struggles in Scotland at the minute and, you know, we we can celebrate the successes of the past of our introduction and, you know, and all that, but we're in the shit again, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, we've got the highest drug deaths in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. like, if that doesn't send a shiver down your spine, like, that's, that is a story of heart. But we started this conversation talking about is, you know, it's not a product of people that are morally deficit. It's people that are deficit in love and connection and Absolutely. nurture, yeah. you know, and you learn a new language, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, when you get guys that thought they were hard bastards talking <laughs> about love and all that, that you've, you've, there's a paradigm shift at work. You've yeah. done something. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And, and like I said before, you know, I've got very many friends in recovery and they are all amazing human beings because of, the difficulties and the challenges that they've gone through. I just can't throw people away, you know, and if, if my book does anything for people, I hope it's just a catalyst, it's a springboard for them to go, do you know what, I started here, but I can, I can do it, I can go somewhere, I can be somebody, you know, because I, I didn't have any hope in my life, you know, so. Amazing, I could talk to you all day. Um, I want to ask you a few more questions if that's okay. Sure. What's it like 
from someone who's never been to a book festival, right, who has this preconceived notion that it's all arty-farty, intellectual snobbery and all very pretentious. Um, I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> what's it like for you travelling to all these book festivals? I mean, you were at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Like, what's it like? You know what? Edinburgh are really, really good. You know, obviously, it is really high-end stuff. I mean, they really... I mean, it's one of the best in the world. You could say that totally reasonably, you know, and um, but they've been so, so welcoming to me. And they've always... I mean, the director showed my mum and family around the site oh. and just... That, it's genuinely... It was really, really good. And they, they genuinely care about people in the community. It's not... Like, it is high-end stuff, you know, uh, it is. It's very yeah. literary and it can be stuffy. But honestly, they are very community-hearted, you know, and spirited, so... Do you ever go to some of these like hay festival, you know, like book festivals down south, and they're kind of like, who is this guy? Oh, I went to Cheltenham, you know, and um, <laughs> I mean that is the the oldest literary festival in the world, you know, and Richard Osman, Bernadine Everesto, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah, there, yeah. Uh, Bernadine Everesto, and you know, real stars, you know, and uh, I'm sitting thinking, what am I doing here? My, <laughs> this is nuts. What am I here? You know, and uh, but you know, you've earned your right to be among them Absolutely. as an equal. You know, and that's it. You're there to tell your story, to represent your community. You know, and me and the, the host just had such a great conversation that day. And, you know, and she got quite upset, so she did, because Aww. it's just, see when you really, you know, you, you see beneath the bravado. It and back, yeah. It's, it's upsetting sometimes. Yeah. Quite often if I'm yeah. speaking in schools to staff, they'll cry. Yeah, well, it's, you know? it's very moving because it's got all the elements of a great story and it's inspired by the truth. What could be better? And it's about redemption. It's about love, and it's about being okay, really, in the end, or not, because some people don't make it. No, I think that's you know, I, you know, I think that's one of the things that surprises people. They expect it to be this big crescendo, you know, but actually, it goes out with a bit of a whimper in the last third of the book because you know, as these pals are you know, serious, seriously substance dependent now, or they're yeah. sucked in with, you know, organised crime, mm -hmm. you know, selling selling lots of drugs, drugs and they're getting in real big trouble. Serious violence occurs. And as he's kind of like in the washing machine or that, you know, he's 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 off drugs and he's doing great, but he's not had that springboard into a new life. And there's that sad scene at the end of the book with him and Danny and they're sitting like, you know, you can't just cut about in a young team forever. Um, when, you know, they're like Peter Pan in a way. It's yeah. like the Lost Boys. Absolutely. I make a reference to that in the book because it feels like that. It's uh -huh. a serial thing and what's the future like for us yeah you know and, mm -hmm. and and I think also a lot of it's set in Coatbridge I'm from Coatbridge and and I can I'm not going to name names but you know I remember guys in the Celtic soccer crew and they were properly hardcore and many of them just fell by the wayside because they didn't apply themselves at school they didn't have much of a future you know they've, they've ended up not in a great place and Drug and alcohol addiction is massive across Scotland, particularly in the west of Scotland. And I think, again, what I love about this book and what you're doing, it's almost like, it's almost, you know, it's like it's transformational. It really is. And and I'm so delighted that the book's been turned into a TV series. Is it a TV series or a film? Don't know yet. Don't know. I, I, it's probably series. Okay. Uh, everything's a series these days, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so this... Um, this has been, um, the rights were bought by a company called Synchronicity Films. They are a Glasgow-based production. It's run by Claire Madell, or Maddie's name is Claire Burns. And she works with some of the best writers in the business, including Andrea Gibb, who's won very many BAFTAs. So that is amazing. Oh, Synchronicity are just going strength to strength. And I mean, they've just wrapped in the tattooist of outfits, you know, which is one of the most 
successful books of all time. By Heather Morris, um, yeah. You know, they, um, did, um, they did The Cry with Helen Fitzgerald. Yeah, Jenna Coleman. Just yeah. uh, they're, they're a decent outfit, that's well, for sure. You know, decent, they're, they're they a decent also, outfit, so they know what they're doing. They also um, did um, Andrew O'Hagan's Mayflies. Yeah, yeah. And I think they will make a wonderful job of the young team. It's um, oh, it's been amazing. You know, it's nice to be in a role where like you're learning. You know, so I was then. You know, I'm consulting, so I was working with, with Ben Tegel, the screenwriter, and seeing how that all comes together and the mechanics of that. And it's a different world. It really is. Mm-hmm. But it's a fun world in that way. You know, creatively because yeah, yeah. it's. Books are really, you know, they're heavy in the terms of the, the scaffolding of them. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, they do take a long time to write novels, but see with the script stuff, you're almost acting. Yeah, yeah. Me and Ben have been, you know, on, <laughs> on Zooms and we've basically been shouting each other and doing it, you know, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's coming to life, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, and I know that's quite rare because it is rare to have authors so involved. But because it's that, you know, it's my story, they felt that it was appropriate, you know. They, Absolutely. And we get on as pals. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, I was just about to say that because I think writing the book is a very, very solitary experience. Working yeah. in TV, film, completely different. And the, the team effort, I mean, wait to get on set. And I mean, it will be amazing. Hope, hopefully we'll get there one day. You know, it's it's not by any means a, an open goal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we just need to be hopeful that, that someday uh, the pearls to be that go, well, we see the potential, we see the value and they, they pull the trigger on it. So we are waiting. It will happen. I absolutely 100% believe in it. Thank you. Oh, God, it's exciting. It will be exciting to see a young cast, you know, um, bring it to life. You know, right, and it will, I mean, this is the other thing. You know, not everybody reads books. You know, some people are dyslexic or, you know, don't have the time or the patience or the energy or the wherewithal to sit down with a book. So, you know, maybe they haven't listened to it on audio. So this, uh, the TV version will open up to a whole new audience. I, o- I always thought that, you know, and I'm like, it doesn't matter how good a book this is, there's just people you'll not reach because they've not got the the time to read a book you need you know reading books isn't always a de-stressing thing you know see if you're in a very busy mind or you're stressed or you're in a an environment that you don't have a, a safe space to read yeah. or you're judged by for Absolutely. reading then yeah. you know you're not going to access it yeah and this book takes an emotional and i think a spiritual investment of time i think for a lot of people it's you know, it's like when you're doing therapy and all that, you know, it's a form of self-therapy for me writing the book. So they 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 feel that and then they need to confront difficult emotions in their own life, mental health, you know, anxiety, depression, addiction, you know, they read it and it really does, it really strikes a chord because they're like, I'm living that right now. And see, when I meet people that have said and have had that reaction, it's tough. It is tough, mm-hmm. honestly, because I'm, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. I know exactly where you are, right? Yeah. And, well, um, that's the thing. It's like, because of where you are in your life and what you've experienced, you're empathetic to that. And I'm the same, like I pick up, I can pick up on something and I can feel it. You and do feel it. Sometimes I wish I didn't. I get didn't. upset when I talk about I know. it. So, sometimes and, I'm doing talks in schools and I'll have, I made the mistake of putting a picture up of somebody who passed away the other day and I was, it was a bold move because I just, I wanted to reinforce to this group of people, this was a person that lived, I knew him. I knew his family and he wasn't there anymore and honestly I just started greeting you know what I mean because you're just feeling and I say see if I don't feel I can't do it anymore because yeah. it, it's not just rinse and repeat you know it's not just a product or, you know it needs to be it's a story yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and you are you are the walking story um, which leads me to I mean I, honestly I wish you could stay all day there's two things I want to ask you one would you tell us about your next book and finally will you read a short piece from the young team I'd love to. So the the next book I've been working on is called Raveheart. 
Really I, I've Love been working it. on it Love for, honestly, I've been working on it for <laughs> a long while, wow. um, for years in fact. <laughs> um, and it's basically, it's set in two, two worlds, right? So I was thinking, who played the tunes in the time capsule? Right, that DJ must have been some oh kind God. of legendary guy, you know, in the, in the ice discos. <laughs> this is in Coke Bridge, by the way, if anyone isn't familiar with the term the time capsule. I remember it because it's at the, my gran used to live in Carradale Street and we could see the time capsule and it was always famous because they were, more often than not, there'd be jobbies found floating in the swimming the pool. Ice, the ice disco, right? <laughs> was just like a paradise to us. You know, it was absolutely banging dance tunes. It was pre-gangs. You yeah. were kind of maybe like 10, 11, 12. I was going to say, it was young. like pre-teens. Ah, it was pre-teen. So you're there, right? I can still escape, by the way. I was there the other <laughs> week and I'm, I'm still all right, by the way. But you know, I was like, who plays the tunes in there, right? I, I've, I've done the heavy lifting with Young Team Emotional. I want to do something fun, right? Yeah. So I'm like, right, Rave Heart, right? This okay. guy, he's a legend. But then I was like, what if they actually managed to ban Rave? <laughs> right, man, no, they tried to ban Rave and they weren't the, you know, the beats oh, well, and all that. I was like, you know the, what? what if they the, did that? The Leah Betts ecstasy death yeah. when Tony Blair was in power. I mean, that yeah. was like the late 90s. So yeah, they were... Yeah, it's it's yeah. always bubbled. There's kind of been yeah. anti-Rave propaganda for years, you know, and it was, it's a moral panic. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's a folk devil, you know. Same as all the rest, the casuals and the, the boys, you yeah. name it. Yeah. And I thought, see if they did that, honestly... There would be a, a groundswell, there'd be like a like paramilitary rave violence. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I was like, that's the story. Rave part is like a, a paramilitary and rave. <laughs> so it's comic violence, you know what I mean? But they go on this quest to try and liberate rave basically okay. when it gets banned. So it's it's a really long novel. It's like 500 pages. It's it, honestly, it's huge. It's a bit of an epic that wow. way. Um, so I'm I'm just in the very honestly final stages of editing it, but they're going to take it off me soon, and then it'll <laughs> it'll hopefully be out next Amazing. year or something. Or like, Gosh, you know, I don't know. You have so much fun promoting that because the you know so many um, people in their forties and fifties that loved raves. So I'm going to put like... a rave on the FO, <laughs> or the get all the PC DJ boys and all that, and just honestly that will be so fun. I'm GBX really excited. I man, Scotland the rave. <laughs> You know, we did the TV show about that. And that was inspired by the book, you know. So all the kind of characters I'd used in the book, we just, I told them about it. And they were like, oh, you know, let's do a TV show about that. So I did the documentary and just did amazing, you know. Got after nominated up in Scotland, RPS. It was just fun, you know. Yeah, and you deserve it all. Thank you. Absolutely deserve it all. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for writing that wonderful book. And please read as a short excerpt to take us out. Aye, so I'm, I'm going to read a wee bit for the Cloud Factory, which I was speaking about earlier on. Um, and it's memoir, it's, it's a true story. I came for a good home, but my father dying when I was a wee guy increased my risk tenfold. There was no immediate reference point for me about what it was to be a Scottish man. Being mental was the chief virtue among these tribes. That became a reality. I was in two gangs, the young Mavis Nerdry, you know, Angel Toy in Lang Lone, Cobrig. Violence was par for the course. I was always fighting with cunts and took a few sore ones. There was a pervasive culture of carrying blades. My moth and a few walkbacks, I stashed in my room and flung them on the bin. And we sat with the pals of a young murder victim. And they were all mad, but still cried for their mate. Taino pulled a machete out on me at the shop, and then stowed it away wrecked to his nut. And down the lane, a wee Jakey walked by the troops, and somebody gave him cheek, and he whipped a knife at his leather jacket and said, he's no fucking wide now, are you? Then the part did for the young dykes, pulled a big kitchen devil out and tried to stab our mate. Macintosh for the YM grabbed it off him and flung it down the drain. But if he hadn't, Danger Miss was dead. Guaranteed. Delphi my year in school appeared in a party up our way, and I couldn't stop slurring at the slash mark 
on his face, across his eyebrow, nose and cheek. Fergus and her mate get bolted and left like a jigsaw. Too lang El Toy once took a knife out her mate's gaff and were going to stab my tie outside farm foods. And he grabbed his sister's baby and held it until he jumped my taxi. Me and wee Joe sat in a mad dodgy gaff with a boy that went on to kill. Joe got stabbed three times. He was a lucky boy. A mad cunt was after me and said he was got to get me. And without hesitation, I grabbed a long pointy one with a wooden handle at the cutlery draw and carried it about for a week in my boy and Yala Bergos jacket. He never showed up in the end. And I'm glad, because at 14, I was probably the most dangerous I ever was. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Honestly, it's been great. And will you come back when your second book is out? Love to. Absolutely love to. My thanks to my guests and the biggest thanks to you for listening. New episodes drop every Thursday. And if you'd like to contact me, please email heather at thebookalchemist.com. Thank you.